Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Wait for it. Wait for it. I think it's. I think it's going. So. This is the E3 edition. Joining me today, we have regular Dennis Rubenstein. Hello. Okay. And then uh, we have the three people who went to, well, three of the people who went to E3 for us for the site. We have John McCarroll. How's it going? Kim Wallace. Hey. And Liz Mass. Hi. Now, yes, we do have women. Yes, I know. I know. It's like, it's exciting for the podcast. It's like we're, we're moving forward right now. Well, and not one, but two, so... Double exactly. the fun. <laughs> Excellent. Double the excitement. Woo. I, I, I know. Women actually exist on the internet. They are not actually a rumor devised to confuse fanboys. And so, it's not a male in the high-pitched voice, so don't worry there. Excellent. Excellent. So we have lots and lots of stuff to talk about. So the way I think we're going to do it is we're just going to have the three uh, E3 people talk about each game. Uh, get a little bit of a back-and-forth thing going on. Dennis and I can kind of ask, um, since we didn't have a chance to go to E3 because we're A, poor, and B, I guess we're just not cool enough. So we only got to look at the actual conferences. So maybe if there is time, we can give our little um, thoughts into the conferences. I can talk about how much I hate motion control and how much I think that RPGs have been completely pushed to the back end in terms of conference coverage. So without further ado, I want our E3 people to talk. So who wants to talk first about something? Um, I guess I can talk a little bit. Um, I had a chance to see, you know, Fallout 3, or um, excuse me, Fallout New Vegas, uh, The Witcher 2, um, Jumpgate Evolution. Um, you know, all very, very good games. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Jumpgate Evolution because I know all of our readers love our MMOs. Um, this is actually a game that we got to see last year. And it was looking very impressive. Uh, for those of you who've played EVE Online, essentially it looked to take EVE Online's formula, beef it up, and give it real-time combat as opposed to just being the, the kind of playing spreadsheet online that EVE Online is. Um, the game kind of disappeared after E3 last year, after we gave it our uh, MMORPG of the show award. And we had a chance to see it again this year as it's reappeared. And it's kind of a different game than it was originally. Um, they've kind of streamlined all the crafting, all the all the stuff that you see in EVE Online is kind of gone now. So you have a game that's very, very action-oriented real-time, but you still have quests, you still have level-ups, you still have kind of some, some form of equipment. Um, but what's most impressive is how they've managed to make it faction-based. Any, anyone who's played uh, Warhammer Online kind of knows how there are faction-oriented quests and faction-oriented content, um, but there's still individual content. Well, in Jumpgate Evolution, they've changed that entirely. If you've got content going on, it is faction-based content. Um, there is always an objective in any zone, and it always is a PvP-PvE meld. So you go into an area, you want to take it over, you've got to fight 
the other guys, which there are three total factions, and you've got to fight some uh, PvE battles. Uh, it's really interesting, and it makes it so that players of any level can play together. So if you've got a level 50 and a level 20 in a zone, a level 20 can focus on maybe the objective, whereas a level 50 can go and attack other players or just be the PvP go-to guy. And it's just really very interesting. The, the game has come together very well. They've focused more and more on combat and on faction-oriented co- uh, content. And while... I was very excited to see a lot of the economic stuff, a lot of the crafting that's kind of gone to the wayside now. It looks like the game is shaping up incredibly well. Well, now, you were talking about uh, PvP and PvE. Now, now I'm an MMO neophyte, but I do know those terms. Now, is it always PvP? Like, it doesn't matter you walk into an area and it's like Conan where you can basically be cut down at that second? Or is it kind of like Diablo where you have to turn on the PvP so that you're at least protected at times? So the guys at NetDevil, they explained to us that players who don't necessarily want to go into PvP, they can hang around, they can do objectives. Um, it wasn't clear if it was going to be always on PvP, like those Age of Conan servers where you'd walk outside a city, you're level 8, and you'd get killed immediately, which was one of the big things I hated about Age of Conan. Um, but based on what they told us, it looks like the, the content is going to be such where you don't have to go PvP if you don't want to. But the way they described it to us is level 50, PvP is going to be your main objective. This is an action-oriented game, um, and it's not focused on PvE content. It's focused on PvP content, but they have merged uh, player versus environment or or single player playing versus the computer uh, into your PvP environments. I I think that that's a good thing because uh, the biggest problem that you have with MMOs right now, and this is the problem that the Old Republic's going to run into, is that once you have players that eat through that content and they get to level 80 or they get to the stopping point, they need some kind of end game. So it sounds like by making Jumpgate a PvP-focused game, that at least gives that gives something for players to do later on in the game rather than just eating through the content and then having nothing left to do. It's kind yeah. Of, yeah, the end game in Warcraft is very, very important. See, I like the... If Warcraft's endgame content, like the PvP World Combat, if you were able to take over zones and and have it shift like that, that's kind of what they're headed for with Jumpgate Evolution, where you're going to have some PvE stuff in there, but it's mostly going to be PvP, and it's going to be about taking over territory, and it's going to be about kind of there being a balance. Um, Say you're being overwhelmed in one sector, you can go take over another sector, and your faction's going to control that, you're going to get bonuses, and you're going to get all that kind of fun stuff. All right, excellent, excellent. Does anybody else have any questions for John about uh, Jumpkate Evolution? Mm, not at the top of my head. No, no MMO love. All right, well, uh, so Kim or Liz, you guys want to come forward with something that you guys saw? Um, I can go ahead and talk about Rune Factory 3 since I am pretty much Harvest Moon expert around the site, and I and really... I'm interested in it, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, it actually, you know what I love about Neverland is they really take everything, the littlest things that fans can complain about in a game, and they really make sure that they improve on everything in the next installment. And what I liked about Rune Factory 3 was, from what I saw, everything just runs, is very fluid from you going into battle, there's no slowdown anymore, um, to picking up items, to stacking them, the little things that take up your time in Harvest Moon that you really don't want to, they fixed all that this time around, so it's not an issue. 
Um, it's looking at a quarter four release, and they're telling me about 40 to 60 hours of playtime in it. And, yeah, that's a lot. And you're going to play as a half-human and you're half-monster, so you're kind of half and half, both of best worlds. Uh, you know, with it comes responsibility. You have to be play peacemaker between a monster town and a human town. So, Isn't this like the 27th <laughs> Harvest Moon game or something like that? Like- yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but, you know, Rune <laughs> Factory itself has been that spinoff from it, so it's not entirely Harvest Moon because they put in the fighting with it, which I think everybody always wanted with it. It's a decent combat. spin-off. Yeah, it, it really is. I Actually, I think it's probably one of their more successful out of all the Harvest Moon, you know, spin-offs they've come up with. But uh, within that, I think what's really cool about this is the, the villagers that you befriend in it, you can take them into battle with you, and you'll get friendship points while you take them into battle. And also, some are better suited for certain battles than others, so it's really like you could take someone into battle, and they could hinder your progress instead of help you. So it's kind of a neat little thing to get that social bonus while also into fighting. Not only can you bring um, you know, NPCs into battle with you, but also... Um, you can plant magic seeds, and these little monsters will fight with you. They just grow into things like you could grow an evil pumpkin who will, you know, be there with you to fight and take names with you, which is kind of cool. We, we learned uh, at, at Tree Odyssey 3 at Atlas's booth, which we probably won't be talking about today, the uh, the horrors of taking a farmer into battle because they'll die immediately. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was wondering when we get to that. I was, I'm, I'm wondering about the new classes, but I guess that's a little later. <laughs> Now, what's the platform for Rune Factory 3? Uh, Nintendo DS. Okay, so this this is where I get to do my little segue because uh, because Dennis and I were talking uh, over the weekend, and I was finally deciding to buy a DS. And I, w- I went to the store, and I was about ready to buy it, and I just couldn't pull the trigger because of the announcement of the 3DS. Because now, mm-hmm. I'm, su- now I'm sitting here going, well, Nintendo's going to release a new platform that has a better processor, so I won't be able to play 3DS games on a DS. I feel like they've already splintered the market when the DS is still flying very high. So not trying to go too far off track, but I guess I'm probably the only one here that doesn't own a DS. And now convince me that I should buy one right now when the new one's going to come out in another year or so. Okay, let me just ask this. John, Kim, and Liz, is there any release date for the 3DS? Uh, It's March, I believe, is what they're aiming for. I don't know if that's a Japan date or a worldwide date, though. I imagine Japan, but ours is probably not too far after that. Yeah, so I'm just thinking it's still kind of a far, a ways away. So why not just get it and you can always just trade it back, sell it, whatever. It's, like mm. it's not going to be coming that soon, so why not? And here's the thing too: there are so many good RPGs on the DS that it's not a waste. I mean, it's been a RPG machine, the DS. So that, that's very, very true. But but now I'd have to hunt for those RPGs. When I walk into an EB Games and I, I was looking for Shin Megami Tensei: Strange Journey, and I looked all through like every DS title and I couldn't find it. So now I'm sitting here going, well, if I buy a DS, now I have to play the hunting game and go track these damn games down. And I'm I'm not really a huge fan of that. Well, the thing with Atlas games, especially Mega Ten, you pretty much have to get them in the first couple months that it's released, or it'll be impossible to find them. That's true. I don't know if that's true for all DS RPGs or Atlas. 
I think it depends. I mean, it's also, as sad as it is to say, it's all about what the stores around you carry. I mean, some GameStops have such a wide selection, and then you go to others, and they just don't have that much that they offer. So I guess it's like luck in the town that you live into of how many hunting and tracking. But also, like, it's so easy to track stuff. I mean, Amazon.com has about everything, and if you can't find it new, there's also used. So. Yeah, and it's, it, it also goes to the other issue that I have as a gamer, where I, I'm not a I'm not on the go very often. I mean, I'm I'm very like I, I'm going to be living at my job actually next year, so I won't have to commute. I have no reason to play handheld game when I have a nice HD screen to play my PS3 and I have a nice laptop to play my PS my, my PC games. So there's really there's no appeal for me to have a handheld because I'm not on a bus or I'm not on a train or I'm not doing a lot of flying. You are exactly yeah. the person that Nintendo has targeted the DSi XL at. Um, yeah, that yeah. market is the stay-at-home gamer because that really is too large of a console for people to take with them. And while you're not going to get, you know, giant screens, they're four, four and a quarter, I think, inches. Um, you're still that market. That's a that's a very good point, and and especially with Dragon Quest coming out, I mean, I do want to play that. I want to play Shin Megami Tensei. So it it, it was just like I was at the store. I had the DSi XL in my hand, and I was just like, I. I I can't do it. I can't give the credit card. I can't do it. And do I, just it. Make, I just want to make one point. Like, sure, it kind of depends, too, on the games. For example, for a while, I'm not really on the go much either, yet I find myself playing handheld more. I guess it's just the appeal of the games, the simplicity, or the fact I just like to lay back and enjoy playing the games, whereas the console gaming and stuff with my setup, it's, like, it's less fun at times. But to each his own. Also, you can't play the PS3 on the toilet. You know, if you have a, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I have, I have a small enough apartment that an elaborate system of mirrors, I could pull it off. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. I could get, I could get. You know what? I'm, I'm looking around the place and I'm thinking about it. No, never mind. Never mind. All right. So I didn't want to get too sidetracked on on the 3DS stuff. It was just. I, I do feel like, you know, maybe it was time to have a new machine, but now the 3DS is coming out in a weird place where the DS is still selling like gangbusters. They're still making a ton of money on this thing. There's still tons and tons of games coming out, and it's still crushing the PSP with no sign of a PSP2 in sight. Why would Nintendo do this kind of thing, especially with the release of DSi XL just, what, two, three months ago? Because that's what Nintendo does. I mean, the Game Boy Micro had come out, what, a year and a half before the uh, the DS, original DS? True. I think it was even less than that. All right, all right. Well, uh, Kim, thank you for telling us about uh, Rune Factory. So now Liz gets to tell us about something that she saw, because apparently you were the MMO go-to person. Yeah, which ended up being kind of strange, because I'm actually not very familiar with MMOs, so... It was it was a different experience. Um, the first thing uh, that I saw at E3 was Rift, The Plains of Talara. It was by who was it by? It was by Tryon. And I actually went to this appointment with Mike, who he's the one who played the game. So he, but um, it's very nice. It's a very nice game, very colorful. And but from what it sounded like, both both from him and from what I saw was, it was pretty much. Uh, Really big World of Warcraft knockoff. It even used the same menu font as World of Warcraft, and the menus were pretty much um, menus are pretty much similar looking. And 
I don't know. It was a really nice game, though. Is is it a good idea for people to be ripping off Warcraft at this point? Like, it, Warcraft has such a stranglehold on the MMO market. It's like every game that comes out, it gets that initial surge, and then it just gets stomped by Warcraft. Like, why are people even making MMOs anymore? It's it's basically like we're going to have to get an antitrust bill against Blizzard to make sure that they break up this Warcraft monopoly. <laughs> and I have no. one. And I have one question to myself, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. How many of these MMOs you played claim to be wild killers? <laughs> Not very many, if any. I mean, I, the most popular ones I know of are Eleven and World of Warcraft, but I know way more people on Warcraft. Even, like, casual gamers. I don't think that, that game makers are kind of targeting their games anymore as being the WoW killer we're going to, to take down WoW. Um, you know, it's it's something that games have been marketed that way for a while. You know, every shooter that came out between 2002 and 2004 was deemed a Halo killer. Yeah. Um, Kills them. World of Warcraft. How many come out yeah. were Halo killers? <laughs> World of Warcraft, I think people have realized, is part of the market. And I think that people have come to realize they don't need to beat WoW to be successful in the MMO market. If they can build a game that gets 100, 150,000 subscribers, they can be successful. That's a good mm-hmm. point. That's that's definitely a good point. It's just, I, I guess now everybody's trying to pick at the Warcraft and trying to make their game exactly like Warcraft. And and then you have Square uh, Square Enix who turns around and makes Final Fantasy fourteen, which is just like, I mean, do they honestly expect it to do something? So I, I guess with the MMO crowd, I can definitely see that they want to carve out a market. They want to make that Warcraft money. I mean, again, they want to build Uncle Scrooge's money pit, and Blizzard apparently has 14 of those things right now. But none of these games can ever hold a market share for that long. But I, I guess John's right. If they can get just a little bit, if they can get a small user base, then yeah. they can then they can kind of do the whole subsistence living for a while. I think also. Wanna... Sorry, oh, go ahead, on. Dennis. Now I was just going to also comment. Like it's kind of like with Final Fantasy Eleven, you know, you know, just having their own little fan base. Like yeah, it's nowhere near the power. World of Warcraft, but exactly. it has about 500,000 users or so, or so statistics day. So, yeah, it may not be huge, but it has a consistently large fan base and they have their own little market there. That's, that's one prime that's example. True. I was I just going to mention. I saw lots of really generic MMORPGs, and I figure if I were to build an MMORPG that was going to rip off of somebody else, I probably would have built it after Warcraft. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, definitely. That's that that's where right. your smart money is right now. So yeah, I think kind the of like market. If you can't beat them, join them, or in this case, imitate them, sort of thing. Yep, yep, yep. So well, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go I ahead, think, John. Go ahead. I I just want to know the MMO market has shifted a little bit. I think that mm-hmm. that World of Warcraft has is the epitome of success when it comes to the subscription model. And not every MMO is headed towards subscription anymore. If you look at both of Turbine's recent MMOs, uh, Dungeons & Dragons Online and Lord of the Rings Online, Mm -hmm. they are shifting completely away from a subscription model into a microtransaction model, which has worked very well for companies like Perfect World and Nexon, uh, Nexon from Korea, Perfect World from China, where they don't have to have a subscriber base. If you have, you know, even 1% of your players buying microtransaction items on a regular basis, that yeah. can be more successful than equivalent on a subscription game. 
Definitely, definitely. Now, now, Liz, did this game that you that you saw? I, I honestly can't remember which one it was because we have so many R- MMORPGs that we're talking about. Was this Rift? Rift: The Plains of Talara. All right, thank you. Now, was was this a subscription model or was this microtransactions? Was this like buying your character a hat? This was, I believe, a subscription model, if okay. I can remember right. Okay. Okay. Well, do you have anything else to tell us about it that, that kind of sets it apart from the the glut of MMOs that we're seeing? We're seeing more MMOs this year than straight RPGs, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. I'm not sure what would set it apart. I mean, it was very graphically impressing, uh, impressive, sorry. And it was, but then even that was kind of a Warcraft kind of imitation. Mm-hmm. And it was, she, she did tell us a bit of the story, which... Which was also, also sounded pretty impressive, but again, she told us so much that I've forgotten a bit of it. All right. I, stories I, and stuff is not the kind of thing that mm-hmm. people, MMO players, care about, with the exception of yeah, FF11 that incorporated cutscenes and all that stuff. No, no, no I, I disagree. I think that lore and story is a big part of any MMO. You look at it at World of Warcraft, and while there aren't cutscenes, well, there are a couple, and they included in uh, Wrath yeah. of the Lich King. Um, you have dungeons and their quests that have a story built into them, and there are some players out there who are huge into lore. That's a fair good enough, point. That's a good point. Uh, but but then again, John, you also had to consider that with World of Warcraft, you're talking about Blizzard, which puts almost as much lore into the, into a video game as the Bible. And, <laughs> and, and and no, when when other companies try to do it, it also it always feels a little clumsy. I think Bioware does a pretty decent job. But like, uh, for example, I'm, okay, I'm not just bringing up Final Fantasy 13 to crap on it some more. I promise. But Final Fantasy 13, like you have that codex system, and it, it just feels clumsy. It it just feels like they're trying to put lore into a game that really isn't meant for it. Meanwhile, every Blizzard game that comes out, you get that whole back portion of the manual, which just gets you up to date with all these things. I mean, even Diablo, which you know is is the most basic story, kill this demon. They have this huge backstory. So I think that. Warcraft is is it's maybe hard to compare these other MMOs to the level of lore and intricacy that Blizzard puts into their games. True. Okay, so yeah, we got games like World of Warcraft that also does that, but again, how many MMOs really do that? You know, put that kind of effort, or at least trying to make it interesting in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Liz, do you have anything else to add, or should we head back to John? Um, I think that's voted actually. It's I believe it's PC only, and it's not out till next year. All right, all right. I, I actually wanted to add something about Rifts. Um, sure, sure. I had I had a chance to see it last year when it was still called Heroes of Talara. Um, the the big thing that that kind of trying is trying to make stand out about it is it's got uh, procedurally created content. Um, it will create quests on the fly, so you're in a zone and. Yeah you might find some dudes and they're like, Oh my God, we're being attacked. Let's go defend this thing. And then you go defend that rock over there that has no strategic value whatsoever, but it's, it's got that content that it creates on the fly. And that's what they're really trying to set itself apart with. 
Interesting. Inter- I, I, that seems to be the big push right now with, with not just RPGs. I mean, we, we heard that back when Diablo 3 was first announced. Blizzard said, we're going to have, uh, you know, random quests and random events. And then uh, playing a game like Red Dead Redemption, where you're just kind of riding along the prairie, and all of a sudden you, you have this encounter. And it's, uh, those kind of things, I, I'm really <laughs> starting to like them. Uh, no, it's okay. I'm really starting to like those more and more in video games. So, so that actually really does interest me in Rift. If they do this this random quest system properly, it sounds like it could be something very impressive. Yeah. So mm. now, John, I I, I want to push you a little bit to talk about a game that is uh, very near and dear to my heart, but I'm also very very worried about it. The more I see it, is Fallout New Vegas an expansion pack, or is this Improving upon the Oblivion Fallout style game. Well, Fallout New Vegas is called Fallout New Vegas for a reason. It is not Fallout 4. No. Um, I had a chance to play Fallout New Vegas. I spent about a good half an hour with it. Um, it's good. It's Fallout, but it's not Fallout 4. That's that's the easiest way to put it. Um, it doesn't. It, yeah, I grew up in Las Vegas. I know what the culture is like. And they're <laughs> going so after a, <laughs> uh, they're going after a 50 style Vegas vibe, and it works, and it's there. Um, the demo area we had was fairly small. It was uh, it was mm, you know maybe a quarter square mile, so it wasn't very big. Um, pretty much the the only official part of the demo was one of the casinos, and then one of the outdoor areas. Um, combat feels exactly the same. Dialogue is almost exactly the same. It really is Fallout just with a new scenario. So I wouldn't call it an expansion pack. I would call it kind of NCAA and Madden. Same game, different teams. Okay, okay, that might, no, that makes sense. It's just, I'm playing uh, through Fallout 3 uh, Game of the Year right now for PC. I'm, I'm playing through it for review because for whatever reason we don't have a review of it up on the site. And uh, this is about my fourth time through Fallout. I, I've played it through with multiple characters on the PS3, which was the jankiest version, you know, by far. But little things about Fallout are really starting to annoy me. Now, granted, this is after almost like 150 hours in the game. It's still a fantastic game. But little things like in Vats, it says that you're going to hit the guy 95% of the time. And then you fire three shots and all three miss. Now, you know, I didn't major in statistics in college, but that is just really bothersome. Uh, I do think that the shooting mechanics on PC work much, much better than they do on the console. Uh, that's that's me being used to mouse and keyboard. But again, it's it's that disconnect between shooting and the RPG mechanics. Now, I, I did read in some interview that Obsidian, Obsidian said that they are trying to tweak the shooting mechanics a little bit by adding in things like iron sights. Did you get a chance to play that? Did you get a chance to see if that improved it at all? Yes, we did. Ha- we did have a. Uh, I didn't have iron sights. I had a weapon that had a scope. Um, so, co- very Call of Duty esque. Look down the scope and shoot at it. One thing I didn't like is I did have my level where it's got the same thing happens in Call of Duty, uh, where it's got the uh, kind of the movement back and forth of your scope as you breathe. The difference was in Call of Duty, you can click in uh, R three or L three and you hold your breath, and you get that short amount of time where it's just holding steady. There was no button equivalent for that in Fallout New Vegas. 
So while I could look down a scope and try to snipe, I could not get myself to shoot any target unless he was close enough for me to shoot him with, like, an assault rifle. Uh, uh, and I, it was not the best thing. To be fair, the demo I played was on the Xbox 360. I played through the entirety of Fallout 3 and a couple of the expansion packs on the PC. Yeah. So that may have been the difference. Uh, now, now, another thing that I was interested in... Um, when it comes to the level up structure, uh, one of the big problems I'm having with Fallout right now is, is, is since I'm trying to blaze through it for review, I'm noticing that uh, the starting areas of Fallout are very, very difficult. And I, I had this desire to play through Fallout New Vegas using that new hardcore mode where you have to eat and drink and you can only carry a set amount of equipment. Did you get to experience that at all? I, I, I mean, I, now that I'm playing Fallout 3, and I'm playing it, you know, for the fourth time. I'm seeing more and more that that mode just does not appeal to me in the way that I thought it would. That level of immersion is great for some people, but I can just really see it being a giant headache. Now, did you get to experience that at all? Unfortunately, that was not in the E3 demo. Um, they they were really just kind of showing us basic areas and and the, the improvements to combat, like the scopes. Um, so that's not something that we saw. That's not something that appeals to me as a gamer either. Of course, I'm also the farthest thing from a completionist that you can get. So I have no desire to play when I played Hellgate London or Diablo. I had no desire whatsoever to play hardcore mode. Um, that, that doesn't appeal to me. And then... One last question that I have, and and this goes to the writing, because I I do think the weakest link in Fallout, I think Bethesda does a great job of setting and immersion. I do think that their writing can be kind of crappy. But now Obsidian, you you got the guys that made the original Fallouts. So was the level, can, can you compare the level of writing between Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas? Did it feel different at all? Um, not really. Um, but to be completely fair, um, when I, it was sort of a guided demo and when I went through the sections that were supposed to be dialogue, um, I may have used VATS to, um, headshot some, uh, <laughs> dealers in the casino <laughs> with a laser rifle. Yeah, so, we got in trouble because we <laughs> shot the people in the casino. So then we couldn't use the casino. And the big thing with the demo was they wanted to show us how the casino functioned. Oh, uh, go, shooting away at people. Oh uh, boy. <laughs> now, the, that that kind of just goes with my style of uh, of gaming. I think I blew up Megaton in Fallout Three with maybe two of the quests in the city completed. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy! All right. Violence. So, um, I see that. I, I think that that you are right. That Obsidian has a very strong bent towards writing and a very weak bent towards gameplay. I, I know that uh, that just about every Obsidian game that I have played has had very very buggy everything. So mm. I think this is a good combination because Fallout Three, at least for me, was not particularly buggy. I think those two companies working together will work well. All right, all right. Well, you know, I am looking forward to it. Uh, I think Obsidian is maybe taking on a little too much work. Uh, I know you're probably going to talk to us about Dungeon Siege 3 uh, mm-hmm. when we get back to you. And, you know, again, I just think uh, we talk about it every week. I mean, these guys are just like the sweatshop of RPGs. Like, how many games are they making right now? It's kind of ridiculous. They, yeah, they just finished Alpha Protocol, and then they've got two, the two in development, I think. Mm-hmm. And probably They probably got a third project up their sleeve. Most likely, most likely, and then and then there was that alien RPG game which failed, and that's no, uh, that's yeah. just weird. 
So uh, now getting back to Kim, I want to ask you about Ghost Trick. because Yes, I feel- that's the one I wanted to talk about no, next. Good, because I feel like I've been, I've been hearing about this game for like, it seems like three or four E3s. And I'm sitting here going, is it out yet? Like, tell me about Ghost Trick. Well, you know, you might have a reason to get a DS again, because actually of everything I saw at E3, what I kept going back to was Ghost Trick, because it just, you know, I was a big fan of the Phoenix Wright games, and Capcom brought us those, so of course now I need something to kind of fill that void. And when I saw Ghost Trick, I went up to it not expecting much from it, but the whole concept of, like, changing people's fates and being able to, like, you know, you're dead, and usually when you're dead, there's nothing you can do. You're kind of on the sidelines. But being able to, like, transfer your soul into objects and move them around and kind of mess with people and stuff and with the whole puzzles, it's just a very unique concept in a way, and... I really was just totally surprised for it. I mean, it's going to drop in winter, they're telling us, for right now. But I was really blown away by it. I mean, the story, just the story alone is just really intense. Your character died, but he has no memory of his life. Like, anything that got him to where he was. You have this whole, like, who killed your character, the main character, why, who was he before then. Like, all these questions you want answered. And throughout the game, you're probably going to figure that out. But it's it's looking to be a pretty cool game. So now two questions about this game. Is there a pottery minigame? <laughs> I didn't experience <laughs> one when I was doing the demo. I, I, see, I'm wondering right now how many listeners get the reference, and that'll be interesting. So they can I'm – I'm just going to leave it right there, and they can go looking for that reference. Uh, but then the the other thing is um, – uh, this goes back to a lot of the things that happened with uh, Quantic Dream's Heavy Rain. Now, this is kind of a graphic novel-style game. What happens if you screw up and you let somebody die? Does the game keep going, or do you get a game over and then you have to do it again? Because I, I kind of like the way – even though I think Heavy Rain is a deeply flawed game – I do like the fact that the story continues even if you fail. So how does Ghost Trick handle that? Um, I don't know for sure, but from what I played, see, the thing is that you can go back in time to when a person, four minutes before a person died, and you can advert their death. So you can potentially keep them from dying. I don't know if you let them just sit there and let them die if that, if you know, you get a game over screen or not. Like I said, the demo was very basic. Didn't take me that far, but I don't know. It's an interesting... We'll have to see what happens with it. So, so yeah, no, like to, sorry. Go, go, go ahead, Dennis. I was just going to make it. No, I guess I just want to make a comment. Like, I really like the idea and the concepts of, you know, based on what you told me and stuff. I guess I'm just still feeling a little bit jaded and stuff because in theory it sounds awesome, but things can happen. How will the final execution go, et cetera, et cetera. I well, you know I'm what? Just, sorry. Go ahead. And no, no, actually, you continue. No, I said what was great about Ghost Trick, though, is although there's like this heavy concept with it, you know, changing people's fates, being that silent hero, if you will, you know, helping people through objects, not people actually being able to see you or interact with human beings. It's also kind of like Phoenix Wright in a sense where it's got that sense of humor running through it still. So the game's not all dark and heavy. It's still got funny moments the character art totally matches with that i mean it just the game looks great this game oh, okay. it, it reminds right. me of the ps2 launch title shadow what was it shadow of destiny 
is a Konami. Yeah. It, it, oh, got, I don't know if I would compare it to Shadow. No, 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 but it was like a dead dude trying to not end up dead. Like it, it kind of. It, I don't know. It has a similar vibe. I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. comparing the two games. Well, I guess I am. Oh no, let's let's hope it's better than Shadow of Destiny. Okay. Let's okay. Just all, right, all right. I'm hoping yeah. it is because this is definitely going to be like a day one purchase for me. Like, well, totally I guess changed my mind at E3 on it. Okay, so I just gotta say, it's like, okay, if all else fails, as long as the story is good, I could dig it. Dennis, you love everything. (laughs) You're gonna be a wonderful father someday. Like, you're gonna have this kid, and you're just gonna be like, oh, you're good at one thing. That's awesome. You're you're just gonna always love them. Meanwhile, I'll be the the one that, like, sends them to summer camp just to get rid of them, because they annoy me, so. All right. You're certainly caring in your own way. It's true. It's true. I, ca- I, I push them away because I care. So now, uh, Kim, do you have anything else to tell us about Ghost Trick, or should we move on to one of Liz's MMOs? You can move on to one of Liz's MMOs. I know she's dying to talk about one, so. Liz, MMOs, go. Actually, I'm looking forward to talking about this one. Uh, this one is called Terra, and it's by a new company called Enmass. And uh, we actually, when we got to the booth, they actually sat a bunch of us down right away to just play through a demo. Like, it wasn't just a bunch of talking. We just went right into this big co-op battle. Uh, There's, what, four or five of us. It's a lot of fun. Again, it's very nice graphically. And this was, this was actually an action MMORPG. So everything went pretty quickly, and I enjoyed it a lot. Because usually when I watch someone play an MMO, they seem to move pretty slowly. And this one was... Sorry? Uh, I was going to say, what's the setting of this game? Like, what is this? I, I just hear the name Terra, and I think that that's the most generic title you could give a game outside of, like, Gun. It's an, yeah, it's an extremely generic title, but we didn't get much into characters or setting, but it does seem pretty, like, fantasy ish. It's not futuristic or anything like that. So it's kind of back, Middle Ages, maybe. Okay, okay, okay. And, yeah, because we were, we were just in this, like, one area, so I didn't get to explore a lot of worlds in, in it or anything. But it was still very nice. And, yeah, it moved pretty quickly. We went through a big co-op mission together. And it ended in a in a boss with, where we all died, all five of us. So that was the not-so-fun part, but it was very neat because we all played different uh, classes. I don't know how many there are in total. But I was... But I was a warrior, so I was... I got to do lots of dodging and lots of physical hitting and... Now uh, you say it's an, you say it's an action RPG, and now that that it's like an action MMORPG. Yeah, it seems to move pretty quickly, and I've never seen an MMORPG move that quickly before. Well, that just brings to mind memories of watching my uh, my one high school buddy Dave playing hours and hours of Fantasy Star Online. So I was about I, to comment on that. So, yeah, is it that's similar? the one online RPG that I do have experience with, and I I enjoyed that a lot. And this one actually remind me a little bit of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, or we're just moving together and someone's a healer in the back, and I'm up front killing stuff and hopefully not getting hit. All right, that's all right. a little bit less online, but it's it was kind of like that. And now is the combat system system like uh, rhythmic based? Is it just you sit there and keep tapping until the enemy dies? How does that kind of work? It was oh, I don't know how to describe it. But it was pretty quick. Like you don't, like you don't really have to wait for your attacks or anything. Mm-hmm. Or actually, doing your regular attack kind of builds up your mana, which is of course your magic. 
And then we used, we didn't use like a whole lot of different attacks. We just used our regular attack and our special attack and our some special kill. Mine, mine was the rolling dodge. And the special attack was a neat little stun one that tried, tried to come in handy in that boss. All right. All right. But, and, but overall, you liked it. I did, yeah. And usually, and again, I'm not a normal MMO person, so I was kind of surprised by how much I liked it. All right. All right. Anybody have a question for Liz? No, I just want to comment on my Fantasy Star online fun. Love the game. It's too bad Universe didn't have that same magic. It's too that bad was Universe sucked. <laughs> well, I did have a chance to play a little bit of Fantasy Star Portable 2 at the show, and it looks like they're trying to get back PSO players with that. Yeah, I did play that as well. It was, it was fun, too, but it felt so much like PSO, like Fantasy Star Online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, did, it did have a charm, though, but I played, like, the very first version, so I don't know how much better or worse Fantasy Star Online got after the first version. When it became but a card I, battle game around the third version. <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I'm glad I didn't continue then, now that you bring that up. I forgot all about that. <laughs> which, to any, any of you who are actually hoping for a um, card battle Fantasy Star Online again, um, my contact at Sega, unfortunately, told us it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Shocker! I'm sure you were the one who enjoyed it, John, too. (laughs) Though that would have been one copy. (laughs) I'm not going to comment on that, though I do own a copy of it. Dun, dun, dun. All right, John. Uh, Not trying to cut Liz off unless you have anything else to add on Terra? Um, That's about it. Pretty much all we did was focus on the battle and the characters and their special abilities. Liz, but it was it was lots of fun. It was pretty pretty quick moving. Liz, can you tell me what it, can you tell me what it was about again? I actually don't remember. They literally <laughs> told us maybe a sentence on the story. I am not even kidding. <laughs> she didn't get it, did she? She didn't get. It. <laughs> she went straight to the gameplay. So no, I was just ho- I was just hoping to hear her say about again because that Canadian accent. I just <laughs> I, no, I I love it. I love about. it. <laughs> can you please tell us what it's all about? All right, John, make me care about Dungeon Siege. I don't think you can because it's not Diablo. Go. Uh, Well, I mean, Chris Taylor is working with the guys at Obsidian, and I suppose I'm way too far ahead of myself. Um, How we have a Dungeon Siege 3 published by Square Enix and developed by Obsidian. (laughs) That, I suppose, is how we need to get to this point. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. So, um, actually, Square Enix owns a couple of the gas-powered games brands now. Um, they worked with gas-powered games on Supreme Commander 2, which is now a Square Enix brand. Square Enix owns uh, Supreme Commander. And when they were working with the guys at gas-powered games, they were like, oh, Chris Taylor, we like Dungeon Siege. We are trying to branch out into more Western-styled stuff. That's why we bought IDOS. Um, let's do another Dungeon Siege. And Chris Taylor said... My development team is not big enough. We can't do, we don't have the manpower to make another Dungeon Siege right now. Enter Obsidian, where Obsidian has the manpower to do a Dungeon Siege right now, and Square Enix chose to work with them. Now, I was the happiest man in the world when we walked into uh, our meeting room, and the person who was demoing us Dungeon Siege 3 was Fergus Urquhart, which I know a lot of our, our readers and listeners are JRPG fans, um, Fergus Urquhart was the uh, designer of Fallout 2, which is my favorite game of all time. And he's just a really cool guy. So 
that's kind of the point we're at now. We have a Dungeon Siege 3. It's developed by Obsidian, published by Square Enix, but Chris Taylor still kind of has a hand in it, um, kind of as an advisory. Um, Looks like Dungeon Siege 3 is, for fans of Dungeon Siege 1 and 2, I hate to say this, it's kind of diverging away from what you want. It's not the same super in-depth, I want statistics, I want everything kind of action RPG. They've shifted their focus. It feels like a Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance Fable 2 kind of mixture. So it's not Diablo. It's probably not what you're looking for, Rob, but um, I think it's going to be good. Um, Everything they've shown us, there is a great deal of love going into the game. It looks top quality so far. Um, unfortunately, what uh, I'm a little upset with was the press FTP for E3 didn't actually have any screenshots of the game for us to include in our preview. So our preview just has artwork from the game. Yeah, I noticed um, that. Yeah. But graphically, it looks amazing. They're, they uh, were showing us where, and if you're in a particular area, if you've played an hack and slash action RPG, you pretty much know... Um, you're only looking at the screen itself to find a monster or a piece of loot. If you're navigating, you're navigating from the minimap. Um, they've tried to go away from that in Dungeon Siege 3. Um, they have added a breadcrumb system, which is very reminiscent of Fable's breadcrumb system, where you kind of have you can hit a button and you have the shiny line that says, "Oh, this is where you need to go for this quest." Um, but they've also added in the environments where you can just look. And you can say, okay, I'm on this place. Here's a cliff. I can see there's treasure over there. There's monsters over there. Um, there's a doorway over there. And you can figure out where you need to go just from the environment itself. It's not, you don't have, they didn't show us a minimap, but you don't need to navigate with the minimap, which I thought was really cool. Now, I, I don't even remember Dungeon Siege 2 coming out. I mean, I, I remember the the just absolute uh, fervor over Dungeon Siege 1. It was, it was a huge game when it first came out. But now, is, is this a franchise that could actually sell? I mean, I'd, I'm not sure. I don't remember people really playing Dungeon Siege 2. And more importantly, the timing of this. And I, I made my joke about Diablo. If this game's released anywhere near Diablo 3... I mean, it's it's suicide, and I feel like the two games are going to release very close. I expect Diablo 3 to be out maybe summer to winter next year, and this looks like it might fall on that timetable. That's that's like releasing, uh, uh, you know, uh, the conduit at the same time as Halo 3, you know? See, and I, I disagree completely on both points. Okay, I think it's fine... I think it's fine to release a game like The Conduit at the same time as Halo because you're looking at different platforms and you're looking at a different target market. And that's exactly what we've got with Diablo 3 and Dungeon Siege 3. Diablo 3 is going to be a PC-exclusive title. Um, it's right going now. To be- right now it is. Okay, well, it will probably... Most likely. It, most yeah, likely. Most likely it's PC-exclusive. Dungeon Siege 3 is built from the ground up targeting console gamers. That's what they wanted us to make sure that, that we know. It's not the same pc targeted game than it was before. True. So we True. So we've got a game that's targeted towards maybe the less hardcore um more of the console market. We're looking I think they're looking at targeting people who would play a game like Fable or liked Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. That's really what it felt like to me was another Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance um kind of a snowblind game. And I think that the the market is different enough for the Diablo 3 gamer that 
this is going to be fantastic for for console gamers. I think that this is going to be great for people who want to play co-op. Um, I worked at a GameStop in college. I don't know how many people a week would come in and say, I want a game like Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance so I can play with my girlfriend, my 10-year-old brother, my, you know, whatever, because the games are easy to pick up and play and they've got co-op, and I think that's what this market is. That That's a very good point, and I definitely agree with you. Releasing on three platforms for Dungeon Siege is great, but now um, this game could get into trouble because the console gamers don't know about Dungeon Siege. It's not a solidified franchise. Now, I'll make the own counterpoint there, which was that Fallout 3 sold incredibly well on consoles, and it was a PC franchise. So I really, I think that Square is really going to have to jump behind this game and really push it on the console mass because otherwise they're just going to look at it and say, well, I don't know what this is. I don't know if I should pick it up. Now, PC gamers, you know, PC gamers are getting more and more cagey these days, and I think that with the release of StarCraft II and Diablo III, I think we're going to see a huge movement in the PC community away from high graphics intensity games. I think that something like Crytek, the things that Crytek is doing right now with Crisis Two is just mind-boggling, but nobody has a PC to run it. Now, Diablo 3 and StarCraft 2 have the potential to completely stilt the PC market and make it so that everybody's like, well, I'm just going to play these two games for the next, you know, five, ten years because they're going to be that good, and then they won't want to upgrade and potentially play a game like Dungeon Siege. I mean, just going off of what I've read, Dungeon Siege already sounds like a graphics-intensive game. So, you could run into... I I just think that what what Blizzard's going to do with these two games, and we're going to see it with StarCraft 2 at the end of July, they could completely mutate the PC market away from graphics-intensive games that have not been selling and focus on more making games. I mean, StarCraft II can run on like a Pentium 4. I mean, who doesn't have that these days? I I just – I think the PC market is in a very weird area right now. See, and I don't see it as as headed towards where – I see it as headed towards scalable, not as towards being stagnant. Okay. Um, You look at some of the – we had a chance to look at some of the MMOs from Perfect World, which Perfect World is a Chinese developer. Um, Their games can run on your mom's computer from 12 years ago because those are the kind of machines that the people in the Chinese market have. Mm -hmm. These games also support the guy who's living in mom's basement with, you know, uh, I don't even know what the most – the GeForce 5500FX SLI, I – it's been a while since I've been a hardcore PC guy. I know I've got a decent video card, but it's not like I, I used to be where I could say, oh, my God, I had a Radeon 9800. <laughs> that, that's about how long it was since I've been buying video cards on a regular basis. Um, I think that, that we really are headed towards scalable. Um, yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think, think you're right. I think that the market of people who are buying Dungeon Siege 3 is going to be the same people who are like, oh, my God, I got this great computer. Look at this. It's glows blue. It's got liquid cooling. And I think those people are willing to spend on video cards. I'm, I'm going to call it right now, and I, I, I definitely hope that you're right. I hope for Obsidian, I hope you're right. I hope for Square, you're right. But seeing as how I was right on almost every one of my E3 predictions, I'm going to make a prediction right now. Dungeon Siege 3 will do decently, but it will not be a huge seller. I, I think it'll sell well. They'll, they'll definitely make some sort of profit on it, but I don't think it's going to be a breakout hit, and I think it'll, it'll be the last Dungeon Siege that you see for a long time, now, if, I, if released. 
I would I, put that on there. I'm going to disagree because I think that the even though the brand may not be the strongest towards casual gamers, you've got a good developer in Obsidian, and you've got a Square Enix team that their marketing and PR team has grown exponentially, and I think that's the main thing for a game like this. Um, I've been doing the the I've been the PR contact for RPG Fan for several years now, and I remember when the Square Enix PR team was three people, all internal. And now they have, I think, three separate outside PR firms working with their uh, five- or six-person internal team for PR. Mm -hmm. So as they've grown, their PR team has grown, their marketing team has grown, and I think that they can make this marketable. I don't think it's the last one we're going to see because I think Square Enix paid to bring this brand into their fold, and I think that they're going to use it to the best of their ability. Um, I honestly was never expecting to see a Supreme Commander 2. But... There it is. So, well, I, I definitely hope you're right. And uh, to try to get everybody into the conversation right now, I just want to take a brief segue. Uh, I promise we're going to get back to you, Kim. But I want to take a brief segue to something that Zach brought up on the last show, and I had a chance to watch it. But finding any more information on it outside of very brief previews has been very, very, very hard. Deus Ex Three, that trailer. Holy crap! And to see Square Enix on the front of that trailer was even more con- – for a point of note, I, I hated the original Deus Ex because I only played it on the PS2, which was a horrible, horrible port. So I, I got to miss the magic that was Deus Ex. That trailer looked nuts. That just looked insane. And everybody that's played it, every preview that I've read on every website has said that this was the best game of E3. Now, I want to ask uh, everybody here, what are your thoughts on Deus Ex? This, to me, looks like it could be something absolutely incredible. Um, I, I, I think you're going to get the most out of me from this. Um, <laughs> I think that it's going to be very very odd seeing this developer that's not Ion Storm. Um, very true. I, I have a modicum of faith in Eidos Montreal. Um, we unfortunately didn't get to see Deus Ex at, uh, at E3. Um, it was a behind-closed-doors game, and unfortunately when we got scheduled with Square Enix, it was kind of late in the uh, scheduling, and we couldn't get in for, uh, for Deus Ex. Um, I am hopeful, and I am still iffy on whether or not we're going to get the same Deus Ex 5. I have no doubt that it's going to be a good game, um, but I, I am still holding back some of my, my, what, what I feel is going to be, I don't know. I think it's going to be good. I think it's not going to be great. I, I definitely see your point, especially because everybody kind of says that Invisible War, the second Deus Ex game was such a letdown. And, and this was very much, I, it, if anything, this was like the Kojima trailer I was hoping to get out of Metal Gear Rising. Like, this was an awesome-looking trailer, deep action, but then you see the screenshots, and it looks like your standard, very pretty first-person shooter. So, you know, th- this could just be a trailer just pulling the wool completely over my eyes, as Kojima had done year after year after year, and I'm finally on to him. But, like... It just – that art style looked really, really cool. The, the Just that art style to me just blew me away. I mean that reminds me of Blade Runner, which I, I, I love that design. And I think that even if the game isn't great, John, I think just based on art design and based off of how, 
how new experiences really are driving sales right now. You look at Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed 1 was a mediocre game at best, and they were able to put so much mar- – Ubisoft was able to put so much marketing behind that game, and because it looked so different from everything else, they were able to sell millions of copies. And I think Deus Ex could have that same impact just based on the look and, again, Square Enix's marketing team. I mean, Square Enix, right? Who would have thought that we're seeing, you know, did anybody see a Final Fantasy at this show except for 14, which nobody cares about except for Dennis? There was the DS one. Yeah, Yeah, Four Heroes Heroes of Light. But, like, we didn't see anything on Versus 13. Uh, Parasite Eve, the the Thad Birthday looked awesome. Yeah, that that was amazing, but it was too short of the video. Yeah, but, like... Square has just, by gobbling up Eidos, we're seeing Square release these interesting games. And it, it, I, I guess Deus Ex just could be – I'm very hopeful for Deus Ex. Now, I want to get everybody else's perspective on this because everybody's been pretty quiet lately. I, only, I honestly only watched the trailer once or twice. It looked really impressive, but the previous Deus Exes were not really my sort of thing, so I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. But it did look really impressive, the trailer. Yeah, here's my thing. Like, I don't really get myself too hyped up for things based on, you know, your first look, first trailer. Because so many times I've done that, and then the game turns out not to be so great. So I'm kind of in the wait-and-see mode. I'm hopeful, but at the same time, I'm, you know, cautious about getting, you know, overly hyped for it. I'll be blunt. Don't really care much. Then again, I never really played the game, so that's why it's something I didn't look into myself. So, Dennis, you love everything. <laughs> you love everything. Yeah, like, but I don't get. I don't look into everything. Well, I think uh, you know. I loved E3 for the trailer spectacle. I mean, I, I remember back watching the original Metal Gear Solid 2 trailer, and when like the screenshots for that were coming out, I was like huddled over my friend's computer with a 56k modem trying to download these things. So that Deus Ex trailer just got me pumped from a trailer perspective. I, I am a lot like Kim. I am still cautious, but compared to all that, just this E3 on a whole, and I promise we'll get back to Kim after this. The, the trailers were very lacking, and I know that that's a, that's a really lame that thing. It, it, yeah, it, it's a lame thing to complain about, but, like, you, you have... They are deal at E3, though, especially when you're on the show floor and you get to watch them on that giant screen. Like, I would sit on the floor of Konami's booth just to watch that Metal Gear Solid 2 trailer again and again. <laughs> exactly. And then there was the Metal Gear Solid 3 trailer. Uh, oh, we, yeah. had, we had the old Kingdom Hearts trailers, uh, Final Fantasy trailers. And this year, it was like everyone was lacking, especially the Metal Gear Rising trailer. I thought that looked like garbage. Like, it, it was just a very – it was an underwhelming show sitting there and watching the press conferences, not just because of the, the focus on motion control, on Connect, but also just the – it, it felt like there was a lack of surprise, especially on Sony, more so on Sony's part. Nintendo did a great job of surprising people. But mm-hmm. but Sony just kind of announced everything so early. We already knew about Killzone, the new Infamous. Uh, we, we knew about everything. Then they don't show The Last Guardian, which made me want to shoot somebody. <laughs> but but 
you remember how important like the big RPG titles and the I mean uh, Microsoft yeah. had that huge movement where they had Mistwalker games at E3. We didn't see hardly anything. There was a brief mention of Dragon Quest Nine and Reggie basically saying it was like crack, which was kind of if you replace Dragon Quest Quest Nine with crack during that video, he's like everybody's gonna want to get a taste and everybody's gonna be addicted. It's kind of weird, but that was like the only game. That was like the only RPG that was really shown off during any of the press conferences. So it just feels like the the importance of the RPG compared to the, the PlayStation 1 era and the PlayStation 2 era is just completely gone. Well, I, I think that it has more to do with um, the fact that the RPG as a standalone genre is kind of gone. You know, you've got games like Dragon Quest. You've got the very traditional RPGs that slot into it. But you look at games like Deus Ex, and you look at games like that, and you look at... I know that some people on RPG Fan say, why do you cover this game while you don't cover this game? And that's actually a discussion we have internally a lot. Um, I think it has to do with the fact that you can't look at a lot of games today and say, this is an RPG, this is not. Right. I don't, I don't think it's that the genre has no merit anymore. I think it's that what is an RPG has changed. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say my opinion, you know, the whole argument regarding trailers and stuff like that. Admittedly, it, I'm probably one of the people that doesn't really care as much because I don't really get hyped up by trailers and stuff like that because even if I'm interested in the game, it's usually a long ways off. I'm the kind of guy who likes to get more into things as the time draws near and stuff. I'm not into early impressions, etc. Though I contradict myself... Anyhow, because I got stoked for Nintendo stuff. That's true. That's true. Well, I I guess uh, two things to take out of that. One is that Dennis will disagree with me every chance we get. So, like, I'm going to sit here and say I like chocolate ice cream, and Dennis is going to be like, no, I don't. So that's an enjoyable thing. Do you? Do do you like chocolate ice cream, Dennis? Uh, More so than the vanilla. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. So there you got one. That's some common ground. And uh, also, you know, John is 100% right. I mean, RPGs, we're seeing them pop up in so many different genres. But I will maintain that Dawn of War 2 is an RPG. And I will disagree with you. You're not going to let that go. I am not letting that go. That game is an RPG. I'm staying out of it. Dawn of War, right? Not God of War? Dawn of War, yes. No, no, Kratos is is an RPG. He actually stops. He st- you have to stop an input command, tear a person in half every chance you get. No, Dawn of War 2 is an RPG. Moving on. It's my show. Dawn of War 2 is an RPG. No, no, it's not. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to mute you. I'm going to mute you. All right, all right. Kim, I'm very sorry for that side comment, so I will let you talk about whatever. Maybe you should talk. Uh, ease, so That's that... actually, you are like reading my mind today. Every time I'm going to segue into one, you say yeah, the This is the thing I'm interested in. I no, know, just duh, for you, Dennis. Dennis, I was like, we should go to it. So with um, all the Falcom titles that Exceed is going to be doing, the best thing was we met a guy from the localization team. The first thing he says to me is, you write for RPG fan? It's awesome. I read that site all the time. You guys get everything that we miss. So it was cool to know that he was a reader. Then he tells us how, what a fanboy he is of uh, Falcom. So having ease in his hands and all the, you know the Legend of Hero titles, that's awesome to have somebody like that who's working on it. You know, the best thing that I got out of it was that these are not going to be those awful third-party interpretations we've had. 
I think with ease, a lot of people, like the U.S., we totally got shafted on those, and, you know, we got yes. the worst of the worst, and they're such and could, you know, great and titles, explain, and it's a shame. And I could just explain some of the things we got shafted upon, etc. For example, okay, we got East in the Ark of Nepishtim, a.k.a. E6. Basically, okay. with Konami, they changed the graphics, because it was initially to the game, they changed it to these, this ugly 3D. And the PC game didn't have voice acting, so they, they had their own voice acting. The problem is the voice acting was bad. And things like that. And don't get me started on the PSP port. <laughs> yeah, the, they assured me that all of that should be of the past. And I actually have great faith that Xseed's going to do us justice with these. And um, amongst the three PSP games... Uh, sorry. My no, go ahead. So basically amongst the three PSP games, I did play the import of E7, so I could at least vouch to how it is, you know, even before it got released. So, yeah, I knew, you know, Falcon themselves are going to do a faithful job, and unless XE somehow messes it up, it's going to be good. Yeah, no, I have no doubt um, XE seems to be. What I saw of E7 while I was there looked really good. Um you know, it's that 80s old-school action RPG feel. Um, the game, you know, is about gameplay over anything. It doesn't try to be anything that it's not. The dungeons were pretty cool. Um, I only got to dungeon, I should say. I only got to look at one, but from what I saw, you know, <laughs> you have music, to avoid getting sucked, sucked in by wheels of death while flying through the air. It was pretty cool. But, yeah, the music, it's still there. It's still alive and kicking. Uh, it's, you know, yeah. what people love about ease. Yes. Music. So, no, and, it looks really good. And anything to anything of interest about the Elton Falconica is, remember, it was originally a PC game. Did they add anything aside from the voice acting that I heard about? Um, I think, is this the one? The, this is the one that they showed us second. Yeah, I know. There's one that's going to be on two. Is that Ease 1 and 2 that's going to be on? No, I thought it was the Legend of Heroes games that were going to be two UMDs. Oh, yeah. I, I like everything's um, going together. No, um, with yeah, that... Yeah, XC, XC talked to us about six games in 30 minutes, so some of this <laughs> is a little jumbled. <laughs> well, I remembered about um, Balgana is that it looked, the gra- it looked really good on the PSP. Oh, and the load times, when you switched from, like, area to area, virtually none. Like, I've never seen yeah. a PSP game go that fast. Like... There was no lag behind, no waiting. I'm, like, one of the most impatient people in the world. So that, whenever there's awful load times in games, I get really angry. So I was I was pleased with that. So and that I'll make on this good. note, Oathen Fogana is my favorite action RPG ever. And I kind of get anal about this, the action RPG genre. Because it just, everything about it I love. And if the PSP port it, does everything right, it's just going to be another instant winner like that for me. Yawn. What? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not not <laughs> yeah. trying to make fun of you, Dennis. I'm just, you know. If you lose a boss battle three times in a row, it'll allow you to downgrade your difficulty. So it'll, like, be a bruise to your ego. Like, you should really go down a difficulty, but, you know, you do have that option if it's too hard for you. 
Yeah, like I said, I don't think the PC version had that, so that's interesting. Sir, sir, I believe the game is a little too difficult for you. Would you like me to turn it down and maybe go draw it's you like, a bar? It's like, you suck. You couldn't beat this boss after three times. Uh, it's time for you to go down a level. It's like Itagaki showing up at your house to punch you in the nads if you can't beat, like, uh, Ninja Gaiden on the highest difficulty. Yes. Devil May Cry did that, where Devil May Cry, if you died a certain amount of times, it's like, oh, would you like to play on easy? Yeah. <laughs> On Devil May Cry 3, I unlocked easy mode just by dying a certain number of times on normal mode. It was it was a bruise to my ego a little bit. I crushed that game. I would not let it beat me. I got all the way through it, and I was just like, okay, let us never speak of that again. <laughs> Nicely done. So w- one thing I do want to make of note about uh, Ease uh, Felgana is that Exceed is working with, I don't know his name, the guy who did the fan translation for the PC Oof. version. Yes, they are working with him on on the translation for the PSP version of both Infinity. And that's a very interesting thing. Does you know with a lot of companies and stuff, they outright ignore the fan translations and stuff, or just in the you know pick a fight with them and stuff. Xe was willing to you know team up with them. That's an interesting little development right there for the probably the fan translations community for a lot of the import games and stuff like that. I think they that could, also has more. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 continue. I was going to say, I think that has more to do with Exceed being a pure publisher as opposed to being a developer of a title. Mm-hmm. You look at companies like Square Enix or, or Nintendo, when they bring over a Pokemon or a Final Fantasy game, you have people who work on partial translations. Um, those are companies that are bringing over a game that they themselves produced, that they yeah, it is their property both on both sides of the ocean. And for Exceed, they... Uh, them being a small publisher, sometimes they do outsource their translation. They will find a translator that does not work for Xseed Games to translate the script. And uh, what they said to us that was very interesting is a fan translator really is just an outsourced translator who's not being paid for his work. I guess it's just an interesting development, like you know, with possibilities like that just popped up. It could be something that's seen or met more or more by Xseed or maybe other companies. We'll see how it goes. I just think it's interesting. That, you know, their fan translations are getting that kind of public recognitions or recognized by companies and stuff like that. Well, since since uh, nobody cares about ease, I think maybe we should move on, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, Ouch. Dennis. I'm sorry. Go, Ouch. go. But, but, I mean, uh, Liz is going to tell us about Kingdom Hearts 3, right? Because that was announced, right? Oh, you know, right. the best trailer ever. Totally non-existent. <laughs> uh, sorry, Zach. Sorry. Sorry, no Kingdom Hearts. Sorry, Zach. I didn't mean to break any hearts. I was right. I was so right. Oh, man. I, did, I didn't see them announcing Kingdom Hearts 3 anyway. Oh, I don't know. No, I mean, I, Nomura has to finish the other 17 games that he promised, and, you know, there's no way. There, there's no, Kingdom Hearts 3 is so far down in the future, I'm not even worried about it. I think we'll be lucky if we see it next E3. I think we'll be lucky if we see it at the next TGS, as in TGS 2011. (laughs) Square is so screwed up right now with their franchises because, again, I mean, Final Fantasy XIII didn't sell that much. We didn't see not even a mention of Versus Thirteen. Not even a mention. I that was, is weird that there wasn't even a mention of it. What what the heck's going on with that title anyway? Well, I don't know. That title's getting completely reworked because of the backlash against Thirteen. I mean that, that it, it's the same way that uh, Ajito went from being a card based 
cell phone game to a Monster Hunter PSP clone. Like, it's the same thing that's happening. So Square is very much, like, in full-on panic mode right now. Yeah, we're not going to see that anytime soon, then. Um, No, that, that game is... It's in a lot of trouble right now. And, you know... I think the next actual Final Fantasy game will be much more traditional. It will have towns. It will have the active time battle system again, and everything will be fine. The story will still go to hell in the last hour and not make any sense. Um, There will still be a kooky character that will make everybody feel uncomfortable, and it will be a Final Fantasy game. Sounds about right. There you go. There you go. And and Dragon Quest X... Isn't that Dragon Quest Ten is coming out for the Wii, right? I'm 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 not right. just having a fever dream, right? No, no, you're right. It, it, you're, we are. Yeah. Okay, and that's gonna be in like 2012, probably. So, good good job, Square. Hope hope Deus Ex and Dungeon Siege work out for you. <laughs> Jeez, and Hitman, where's my Hitman? Come on, mine. I want another Hitman game. You guys have hey. a license. The, the guys at IO Interactive are working on the new Kane and Lynch, so I'm sure they Square Enix owns the branding now since it was an IDOS brand. So um, I'm certain you'll see Hitman. They stopped using numbers, so Hitman Five. Uh, let's call it uh, Hitman Leisure Suit Larry or whatever. I mean, it's it's just uh, it, the, the dude who uh, who does the voice acting for Hitman. He actually came out and said that he recorded for Hitman Five. Now, that's how we found out about Infamous 2. That's also how we found out about the next Bully game, but we haven't seen any announcement of that. Also, Rockstar, huge no-show at E3. Uh, So, you know, I kind of expect to see another Hitman game. I love those games, so we'll see. But again, this just shows Squaresoft... Square Enix, God, Square Enix, their best franchises are the ones that they picked up from Eidos. Did anybody okay. see that happening? Nope. Oy, oy. How do we think Dragon Quest is going to do in America? Let's let's take Quest a guess. Nine. What was Dragon that? Quest? Dragon Quest Nine. Yeah, how is it, how's it going to do? I would say moderate. I don't think it has such a huge following like Japan. I would say moderate. Well, obviously, no. <laughs> People in Japan enough. miss work and school. They won't like schedule a release when. <laughs> On a school day, yes, Japan. That is true. It. We're not quite there in the U.S. I think it'll do pretty well, decent. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be over the top. I think people. Yeah. I don't think it's going to really want it on the DS. They wanted it on a console, so playing it on the DS is going to be a little interesting because those games are so big. You don't want to really experience it on the DS. You want it on a console, but yeah. eh, we'll see what happens. Or experience it on the go. Yeah. I mean, we really don't have any franchise in America. I, I would have said that Halo was a franchise that was up to that level. But but that – no. I mean Halo has been completely saturated. I mean nobody is – after ODST, uh, all my you know all my dorm buddies who, who went out and beat Halo you know, the first night they got it by the next morning, it doesn't really seem like anybody cares that much for Halo anymore. So you know, we do have – I, I, I disagree. I think that we do have that brand. I don't think it's Halo. I think that it is Call of Duty. Or I would have said Madden, but yeah, Call, Call of Duty. Okay, good point. But now, but now um, that NHL it, ten. But now that it, <laughs> hey, I love hockey, I love That's hockey. Right. All right, go Penguins. Screw it. Oh, ew. oh no, Blackhawks. Black what Blackhawks? 
go play. Yeah. I'm so glad Hosa finally got his Stanley Cup. That's awesome. Good job. Hey, I think that was so nice of Tabes to hand it to him second. Well, if he know, lost yeah. again, I think he would have committed suicide, honestly. And just to remind you guys, this isn't hockey fan at the moment. It's Sure Sorry to crush you guys, but... Uh. How about NHL 11? Hey, NHL 11 is going to be an RPG. We will be covering it. I don't know what you're talking about. It has RPG elements. You level up your so character. Does Dawn, so does Dawn of War 2. There you go. <laughs> well, we can't win them all. And God of War 2. Uh, yes, and God of War 2. Kratos, Kratos fight. Uh, God. Uh, I, think, I think Dragon Quest 9 will do decently in America. I mean, yeah. I, I think the best thing that they could do is try to market it like a Pokemon, and I do see ads for it when I walk into GameStop, and it goes back to what we talked about uh, in one of the other podcasts about how, with that Toriyama art, and the fact that Dragon Ball is very popular in America still, they just started showing uh, Dragon Ball Z Kai on, uh, like, one of the uh, Nickelodeon cartoon networks. Like, that artwork is very striking, and people will be like, oh, this guy looks like Goku or Vegeta or one of the other Dragon Ball characters. So, yeah, or it could be, you know, it just has to be Dragon Quest, tagline, gotta catch them all, and then it'll there sell. There you go. There you <laughs> go. Sentinels of the Starry Sky does sound kind of bad. I'm not, uh, it just yeah. doesn't, that doesn't sound that great. It's oh. hard to take that sometimes. Sounds through. okay. Oh, uh, what was it? Journey of the Cursed King for eight? I liked that a lot more. I don't mm-hmm. know, I just particularly like that. All right, uh, I guess this is the part of the show where we go to another MMO from Liz. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Actually, this one wasn't an MMO, but uh, it was uh, Ar- Arca- Arca- Arcania, aka Gothic Four. And to my knowledge, the, the previous Gothic games were progressively more terrible than the last one. And mm-hmm. this one is actually by, like, a different developer, so I'm not sure how they're going to do. But I have to say, I wasn't all that impressed <laughs> at the show. Uh, I went with Sam to the, to the appointment. So he, played, he actually played the demo, and I pretty much watched and listened to the stuff about the story. The game felt like it was running at, like, two frames per second it, it looked awful and the, the guy is kind of going on about the uh, oh how nice the water looks and oh look at these puddles uh, I think when they have to go on about the scenery you know the game's in trouble not yeah. a good sign <laughs> yeah. just looking at it I was like oh wow do we really have to do this <laughs> hey Homa you're hallucinating again <laughs> uh, so. so is that enough oh. on gothic <laughs> <laughs> so, how's the combat? I'm just curious if it's like the other. Um, I didn't actually play the other Gothics themselves. I've just heard from people just how bad they are. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the same in my book, but I'll explain a little later after you explain how, what you saw. Um, I didn't see a whole lot. I mean, we did spend quite a bit of time on the game, but I just feel like I didn't see a whole lot just walking around and doing as, there wasn't as many as much fighting as it was, say, in our Terra demo. But it was... I don't. I just don't remember anything special about the combat. Like, it was kind of pretty standard. Like, it just felt all very generic, plus a terrible frame rate. Yeah, because the thing with me is, I actually didn't play Gothic games myself. The closest thing to it was playing, was playing and actually reviewing the game Risen, which I believe was from the guys who did the first two Gothic games or so. And first it was... Yeah. Yeah, first three. Thank you, John. 
And he basically uh, was considered sort of a gothic successor and stuff like that. So kind of got the... So I was just looking and comparing and contrasting stuff. And basically, I kind of probably got the idea because I kind of like some parts of Risen. I kind of like the whole how they set up the scenes and stuff like that. You know, the background story. and the, But it was boring most overall. And the combat was clunky. And I really mean clunky. It just feels like there's a delay between hitting my stick and the enemy getting hit by it. And it doesn't help that they dodge half the time. Mm. Now, I played both Risen and Gothic 3. Gothic 3 had significantly better combat than Risen. Um, I was really disappointed with Risen. It really wasn't up to Gothic 1 or, or Gothic 2 or Gothic 3's uh, quality level. Um, and it was the, actually the guys, one of those... Sorry. Oh, I, I was, was going to go on to Arcania. Go ahead. Yeah, basically, uh, and it's actually one of those times where, yeah, I actually did go to a press event on Risen because there was one held in New York on last August or so. And guess what? They also talked about stuff like the scenery and all that. Did they talk about the puddles? Yeah. No, they actually talked about the clouds and how the dynamic weather changes and stuff like that. Oh, they talked about that with us, too. Yeah, so... The night-day cycle. I'm sure these guys are going to bring us back right away when they hear this podcast. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to have those guys back. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, I... I didn't didn't hate the game, at least. It was just, you know... Gameplay felt like a mess, but I kind of liked some parts of it, too, so... So I just want to make note, the guys who are developing Arcania 4, uh, Spellbound Entertainment, they are not a big developer, and I think that 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 may be hurting it. Um, Looking at their game history, it doesn't look like they produced a whole lot of RPGs, and while... What? What have they done for RPGs? Um, I'm looking at a bunch of games that I've never heard of before, honestly. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, the the only game on here I recognize was the Robin Hood game for the original Xbox. Wow. Which was a strategy title. What? Wow. <laughs> like the the, huh? uh, the Gianna Sisters DS, Helderado, Desperados 2, Chicago 1930. It's a bunch of games I have never heard of before. It's all PC stuff. Uh-huh. Mm. So this is why we have to have John on the show more often because, like, as a PR guy, he can make sure that we don't tick anybody off because he zooms right in there and kind of defends them a little bit. So, <laughs> so, so to keep, so I, I guess John, when I do my Mass Effect two review, you should just be like right next to me, just be like, "Oh yeah, but Bioware is awesome." No, I, I haven't even. Oh, he would say that anyways. He loves them. <laughs> Boy, boy, I hate that. That actually doesn't like them. Doesn't worship them as much as the others. God, no. I I bought Mass Effect two for Steam sale, and after Fallout three, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit sit down and play it. I hated the original Mass Effect, but I'm I'm gonna give them another shot because I did love Dragon Age. So they they got twenty three bucks out of me on Steam sale, and we're gonna see what happens. So I don't know. Uh, John, uh, can you tell us game of show? The Witcher. Really? Game of show. All right. Game of... Yes. The I got to see The Witcher 2, which actually it's it's very lucky that I had to see The Witcher 2. Um, we showed up to our exit appointment. Um, lots of companies this year just had um, meeting rooms, and they didn't have booths on the floor. Atari was one of them. Um, I happened to run into my contact at Atari because they were right across from Exceed, and I was like, oh, you're showing The Witcher 2. Can we see it? 
And they said, come back tomorrow. And we came back tomorrow and we got to see The Witcher. Um, and I'm so glad that we did. Um, so for those of you, which, again, I know that a lot of our guy, a lot of our readers are JRPG fans. Uh, the Witcher was a Western-style RPG from the Polish uh, developer CD Projekt, uh, published by Atari in North America, and it was freaking awesome. Uh, sold one and a half million copies worldwide. Um, anyway, they're making another one. And the first game was built on the Bioware Aurora engine, which was used for Knights of the Elder Public. Um, kind of limited for their their uh, game. The Knights of the Elder Public came out in, what, 2002, 2003? Uh, and The Witcher didn't come out until 2007. So it was a while, and they, they've actually developed a brand new engine for this game. And the main thing for that is the dialogue system, which that was a big draw from the first game. Um, it's not like playing Bioware games, which I love Bioware games to death. You heard Kimberly say that I would defend Bioware to the ends of the earth, and that is absolutely correct. Um, Bioware's dialogue system is very much, this is the good choice, this is the evil choice, where do you want to go? Uh, that was alleviated a little bit in Mass Effect 2, which I think you'll like, because it's more about, <laughs> I want to defend this character versus I want to defend this character, but it's still very black and white for what you're going to do. All of the Witcher's dialogue options and selections were, okay, that's that choice, that's the other choice. They go in two different directions, but one is not better or different than the other. It's very much about the world is gray. You've got to make your choices based on what your consequences are going to be. Well, in the Aurora engine, they were limited. You could only ever talk to one person at a time. Your dialogue would be between Geralt, who's the main character, and whoever he was talking to. And with the new engine they've crafted, you can now have as many people as you want involved in a dialogue. So people can enter dialogue based on what you said. People can exit dialogue based on what you said. And it works fantastically. Now, what, what is the release date for this game? Because I, I know that a couple of months ago we had the first, like, leaked trailer, and it, it looked really, again, trailer, it, it looked really, really good. I mean, it got me interested, and I'm, I'm thinking about picking up the original Witcher because it's, it's only, like, 20 bucks on Steam right now. I'm like a poster child for, like, buy Steam games. But uh, what's the release schedule? I into that, too. I, I know. Well, I love Steam, and when I saw the Portal 2 announcement, I about flipped out. Um, it, now... When is The Witcher 2 supposed to be coming out? Is this still really early, or is this, like, next year? We're looking at sometime in 2011. Um, unfortunately, I don't have my notebook with me right here where I took all my notes, which we will be seeing a preview of Witcher 2 up um, sometime this week. Um, so we'll be seeing it next year. Um, the original Witcher was delayed a couple of times. I don't expect to see that here. Based on the demo we were shown, the game is... The engine itself is relatively complete. I don't know how far they are into the content. Um, but it looks good. The character models are all there. It it looks like it's something we're going to see next year. I don't know when next year, but next year. Well, that gives me time to play the original Witcher because I that first uh, glimpse of The Witcher 2 got me very, very interested, and now I have a computer to play it. Now, did you get to see... You, you talk about the dialogue system, but did you get to see the combat? Did you get to see any other aspects, or was it just like, here's yeah. our dialogue system? No, they showed us the combat, and the combat's uh, not completely different, but it is different. Um, for those who didn't play the first Witcher, um, the, probably the best comparison to make would be to Fantasy Star Online. The combat system in the first Witcher was uh, 
uh, I have lost the words that I want. Rhythmic. It's a rhythmic system. Okay, tap the button. Then at this point in the animation, tap the button again to go into the next attack. Um, they've taken that out of The Witcher 2, which I'm honestly grateful for. As much as I like Fantasy Star Portable and Fantasy Star Zero, that is the most annoying part. I would much rather just mash button. Um, but they have changed it to... There were also multiple stances. We'd be, I want to be in two-handed stance. I want to be in a quick stance. Um, you can change those on the fly now, and you can just attack. You can say, I want to do two quick attacks and one strong attack. Um, it's just tapping uh, different mouse buttons. Or They actually showed us the, the, the title right now is just slated for PC release, but the developer was actually playing it with an Xbox 360 controller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like tap X twice and Y once, and you get this combo. So it looks like it's a very fluid battle system, which is a good thing. We never saw The Witcher released for uh, consoles. I know there was a lot of talk about that for a long time, yeah, and eventually it, they canceled it. It was in development. It uh, Unfortunately, we uh, our, our appointment ran long, so we didn't have a chance to ask a lot of questions. Um, was I, I intended to ask it, but you know what? Um, talking to our contacts at Atari, we might have an interview with uh, the guys at CD Projekt, so... Excellent, excellent. I mean, that that game did look very interesting. I think out of all the RPGs at the show, that that was the one that kind of, like, drew me in a little bit. So, can you top? Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, can you tell us anything else that really got you pumped up for the game? It's gorgeous. (laughs) It is gorgeous. You look at a game like, uh, I I, I saw Arcania again at last E3 because a lot of publishers showed their PC RPGs several years in a row. Um, Arcania looks good, but again, you have to have a massive machine to run it, and even then, the frame rate is not spectacular. Um, I don't know. We're playing the Xbox version of uh, Arcania. Oh, oh, they showed us the PC version last year, which was running at about 15, but they're running it at max. I don't, um, I, I don't like talking about the Xbox or PS3 ports of PC titles. They tend to be crappy. Inferior. Yeah. Yeah. Inferior. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, Mind if I comment on stuff? Because I actually did play the the first Witcher, and I just want to talk about my little take on it. Okay. Uh, basically, I actually did get the Witcher Enhanced Edition from a Steam sale last Christmas for like $12 or so. It's like, hey, why not? I actually, so my experience on it is this. I actually did like the story. The characters got me intrigued. I kind of like some of the dialogue choices where it just feels like there's a good shade of gray instead of things being blatantly black and white. It just makes me think about it. But I honestly couldn't get into the gameplay much. And it, based on some of the things you told me on, like, removing the arithmetic ver- aspects of wi- from the original Witcher, I'm glad they just stuck into a button mash. And I like that you could change the different combos on the fly because I hated changing between the different stances. I sort of just kind of stopped into Chapter 2 where I did like the story and all that, but... The gameplay wasn't really clicking with me. I just found it a little, a little clunky for my liking. No, you're there. Oh, no, I mean, but, go oh. ahead, John. Go ahead. No, oh, I, I was going to wrap up, but you have something more to say. No, no, no. I was going to say wrap up. <laughs> oh, um, the game is gorgeous. Um, I actually noticed that since we started recording this podcast, um, we actually have a gallery up on the site, thanks to uh, to Mike. So go check out the gallery because the game and the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I, I'm stoked for it. It's just, I, I expect it to be very good. I mean, I'll be honest when, uh, when 
The Witcher was in development. I said, Polish developer that I've never heard of. I don't have high hopes. And there was a game that came out from a Polish developer that I hated. But that game was not The Witcher. That game was Two Worlds. Uh, The Witcher was fantastic, and I have all the faith in the world now in CD Projekt. Excellent, excellent. I mean, now, now, just real quick about the graphics because I mean, I'm I'm concerned. I have a pretty beefy laptop right now, but uh, I am thinking about upgrading at some point. Is this game going to be scalable? Is this going to run on my laptop that has uh, 512 megabytes of graphics memory, or am I going to have to go and finally get that Alienware desktop that I've been eyeing up? You know, that is a question I don't have the answer to right now, unfortunately. Um, that, Like I said, our interview got cut short because of time. Um, I don't know what kind of machine they were running it on, but uh, they were probably running it on Mac settings, and it looked gorgeous. I would imagine that it would be scalable. Um, as I said, the engine that they're using was built from the ground up, so I can't I can't answer that question right now. But, hey, we're having that. we might have that interview soon, so it's a question to ask. All right, all right. It'd be great if we could also get them on the podcast at some point. That'd be awesome. I definitely want to get you know any any developers who listen. We want to have you. So definitely, I promise we'll be nice. So now, guys, we're publishers. <laughs> publisher. Well, we're coming up on uh, an hour and thirty minutes right now. So I I kind of wow. I feel like see see I, I I tell people that when they come on the podcast it can go long because we start discussing. So I think maybe uh, Kim and Liz, if you guys want to tell us, you know, take all the time you want, but maybe one more game that you guys uh, saw that you really want to talk about, uh, and that way we can wrap up. All right. I guess I'll have you guys pick. Do you want me to talk about Lufia, Curse of the Sinstrels, or Arkrise Fantasia? Don't care. Is- I don't care about either of those. So <laughs> you go. I pick Lufia. I'm more interested in that. Yeah, Lufia, actually, uh, okay, I'll admit some, I'll begrudgingly admit some interest in Lufia. Okay. Well, basically, it's, you know, they, Natsumi doesn't want you to dub it completely a remake. It's more on par with, like, a re- reimagining of Lufia 2, which was on the Super Nintendo, of course. Um, they even go as far as to say it might feel like an entirely new game than a remake, but, you know, the same, you know, characters and story, core story elements are still there. Um, when I was playing it, it gave me a very much, like, a wild arms feel, you you're going through the dungeon and you're solving puzzles with your characters the whole time. So you're switching characters to like this character. He's really strong. He can break down boulders. You know, this character has like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? What does Spider-Man have that he throws? Well, Not well, Spider-Man, well, Batman. Oh my gosh, Batman. <laughs> grappling hook. Wait. Yes, thank you, John. <laughs> you Sorry. Got grappling hook from that? I know the way Kimberly thinks, and I was there for the, the presentation, so. Okay, all right. Yeah, so you're switching through doing that, and of course they changed, you know, combat this time around to an action RPG. So it's very much, you know, the action kind of never stops as you're solving these puzzles. You're getting into battles, but you're not taking any time to stop and, like, do a turn-based battle system with, you know. And the controls work pretty well. Everything seemed nice and tight and... You know, the game also has a job board, kind of similar to Final Fantasy XII's license board. So, yeah. You get those That's mystic stones. <laughs> Are you going to start on the I hate Final Fantasy XII brigade? 
I'll start on the Final Fantasy. I'll start on the Final Fantasy twelve is inherently broken, and that's why they released an international version to fix it. Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, I that's like my least favorite Final Fantasy. So thirteen's um, my least favorite Final Fantasy. It, it I hate it. Favorite. I've tried to play twelve so many times, and I cannot. For the life of me, get invested in it at all. So I could say the exact Should same thing over place as well with eight. What was that, Liz? Should I be glad my copy of twelve is still in shrink wrap? Twelve. 12's a very from lot state. Twelve's an interesting RPG because I, I think it starts off very strong and the battle system does work. It's just the problem is it takes you about ten minutes to figure it out and make a god party, and then you just sit there and watch your party destroy everything. So there, there really isn't that much to it, unfortunately. But yeah, but basically you get mystic stones in Lufia, and you're customizing your party by placing the stones along the board to unlock certain abilities. So very basic in that sense. Um, it looks pretty good. It looks like it's going to be a fun game. Does it have like that wow factor? Quite not. To me, anyways, but I think it'll be, you know, decent, a good game to like kill some time with. But I don't think, you know, from what I saw, it wasn't. When, when didn't you, have wow. When you say, when you say, wait, wait, wait. When you say wow factor, you don't mean World of Warcraft. You mean like wow. Oh no! Please do not say World of. Compare my words to World of Warcraft. I okay. Okay. No. I'm, no I'm just, oh god. Oh god. We're gonna get. We're gonna get killed now. Okay. I'm gonna get killed okay. now. I'm gonna have hate Everybody, mail. Everybody, can I... find Kim somewhere else other than where I live. Please don't come. <laughs> I love wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Dennis, get us out of here. Okay. Basically, I just want to talk a bit of my take on Luffy too, because it's kind of a weird story, but probably just worth kind of mentioning. Like, I grew up in my gaming begins in the SNES era, so of course a lot of my nostalgic roots, including RPG esque, you know, is from the SNES era. Luffy 2 was actually one of the very few RPGs that I actually did not play as a kid on the SNES. Basically, the weird thing is, back then I only had a Toys R Us near me when I just bought the games and stuff like that. I was impulsively going to buy Luffy at 2, and they had this, you know, this old system where it has these ticket systems where if it's available, there's a ticket on the on the shelf or something like that. So there was one for Luffy at 2. I took it out. It's like, hey, this looks like a cool game. And when I went to the register, it's like, oops, we actually placed it there. We don't have the game. So and yeah. for some reason, I just never bothered uh, trying to get that up. It's just one of those impulsive moments, and then they didn't come through. So, eh, whatever. So, when I actually did try Lufia 2 for myself many years later, I kind of liked it for what it is. I liked the puzzles, the characters were fun and stuff. I guess I wasn't that interested or think it's, oh my god, it's awesome, because I didn't have the nostalgic roots backed up on it like a lot of the other games I play and replay and stuff like that. So, but still, it's got me interested enough for at least the DS remake and only to give that a shot. And I think they did enough new with this remake by reimagining the whole idea concept behind it um to make warrant like it being remade but i don't think it's gonna like rank up there with top you know rpgs on the ds which by the way in case you guys haven't noticed all that i've been talking about is nintendo ds games really it seems like this show was all about handhelds and not so much about console titles you know honestly that's where kind of my interest lies because i don't really care as much about the console stuff i read a lot of the titles that interest me more is based on handhelds, and including the stuff you didn't really mention on. Like, I'm also interested in Etrian Odyssey, and kind of curious about the PSP version of Nights in the Nightmare, 
considering how the controller setup was made for the DS. I was wondering about that transition. You guys mm-hmm. sound like shills for Nintendo trying to make me buy a DS. No, that's what I'm saying. All the games I've been talking about, DS, it's saying you should buy that. Yes. Just join us already. There's just so much. One of us. One of us. Google, gobble, Google. Oh, yeah. What movie is that from, <laughs> listeners? Yeah. Yeah. Have fun with that. It's not a South Park episode either. Yeah. Take that. And I'll just, like, do a quick thing with Rise. I think it's going to be, and maybe I'm totally wrong, that JRPG experience that I have been, wait, like, really wanting. I feel ever since we got off the PS2, which, like, I was doing JRPG after JRPG, I haven't really found on a console a game that kind of has that JRPG magic. So from what I saw of it... Yeah, it looks like, a, to me, a Tales game if Tales was a turn-based battle system. But I think it might have enough in it to be a pretty decent JRPG game. And There's I'll only one thing that. I'm worried about, you know, Arkwright's Fantasia, the localization, only because I felt iffy about the publishers, past records, and stuff like that. It's, like, it's okay, but feels like something's missing, things like that. Mm-hmm. That sense, how's the localization, if you saw any? Um, from what I saw, it looks okay. Um, I'm going to warn people straight off. The voice acting is horrible. Um, so that you'll have to, you know, might have to put the mute button on here and there. But um, from what I just saw, you know, the beginning of the game, the beginning openings, and then we went to, like, some town and did some battles. So I'm not sure how it's going to turn out as a whole. Looks like it's going to be pretty decent, though, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully not a fragile disappointment. I'm hoping it's not. I'm actually going to be reviewing that title for us. So for my sake, because I'm going to be putting the hours into it, I hope it's good. Well, now, now Liz, you're going to tell me that Persona 5 was announced, right? <laughs> right? right. God, I wish. She wishes. <laughs> I wish, but I'm happy that there's some Mega 10 games on the 3DS. Yay. Anyway, I actually wanted to mention Trinity Universe. Which is uh, by Nippon Software. What? An MMO? <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> he gets. I played a few more MMOs, but they were just not worth mentioning. But um, I played Trinity Universe. It's from Nippon Ichi. And it's kind of like an offshoot of the Disgaea series in some way. I'll have to mention that I've, I haven't played any Disgaea because I've seen it in action and I just don't really enjoy that sort of level grinding for hours and hours and hours on end. But um, it seemed like it would be a fun story, and I've always enjoyed the art style of of Disgaea. And the battles were... I didn't do a whole lot of battles, but but it, it seemed pretty fun. Like, you could use all your turns. It's, uh, it's like, kind of team-based. You could use all your turns on one character or spread them out through a couple or all three characters. So I thought that was pretty neat in case someone was useless for whatever reason. I think that was Journey Universe. Anyway, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was a pretty charming game, and I think I'm actually going to get it. And what's the platform? It is PS3, and it's actually out pretty soon, later this month. I don't know. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I thought this was another one of the, like, DS Army games that was coming out. <laughs> I probably should have mentioned a DS game, come to think of it, just for you. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, it. Uh, stop it. All of you, stop it. Stop it. I just got a job. I can't be spending money again. Yes. <laughs> Dennis, I hate you so much. 
Uh, well, I think if we're done with that, uh, last thing I want to do, just to make sure everybody gets one final word in, um, want to go down the list and everybody tell me what was the best thing you saw at E3, either RPG or not RPG, and then what was the most disappo- disappointing slash worst thing that you saw at E3. And then we'll have John, our PR manager, help us out if we get in too much trouble. <laughs> so, John, kick it off. What was the best and what was the worst? The best was The Witcher 2. Um, there was lots of great stuff at the show. Um, there are very few games that make me go, oh, holy crap, I really want to play this. And that was what The Witcher 2 did for me. Um, I didn't, I, I kind of got to cherry pick my appointments, which is great. Because uh, that's what happens when you work for this website for eight years and you do all the scheduling. You can kind of give yourself all the good appointments. Um, <laughs> What I'm going to go with is most disappointing um, is honestly me on a personal level. It has nothing to do with the quality of the game, just the direction they're going. I was very disappointed with Jumpgate Evolution. Um, named it MMO of the show last year. I just don't like the direction they're going. I'm still going to buy it. I'm still going to play it. But I would... I, I liked the direction it was heading originally. It's still going to be a quality game. It's still going to be Wing Commander Online, but... I was very disappointed that they're focusing more on the combat than than having like an economy and everything like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Kim. Um, for me, there's two games that I came out of E3 saying are day one purchases for me. Well, besides Ghost Trick, I'm not gonna, you know, but uh, Epic Mickey looks pretty badass. Um, I hope I'm allowed to say that word. Oh shoot. See, I covered up there. All right, all right, um, right. And Marvel vs. Capcom 3 looks awesome. Yes. It is really yeah. awesome. I mean, when they put the Devil May Cry characters in there, that's pretty cool. Can, so. I, can I pick on those two real quick? Because uh, Uh-oh, why? Why you got to go do that to me? He doesn't like us. He doesn't like our taste. I don't, I don't like anything. Now, Epic Mickey, I, I really, you know, Warren Spector is the man, so I'm going to give him all the respect in the world and just back up and let him do it. But the, I don't think it demoed particularly well at Nintendo's at Nintendo's press conference because when I saw it, it mm-hmm. kind of looked like a very janky kind of generic uh, platformer. Like, the, the guy who was helping him, like, on-screen demonstrate it was having a hard time getting around the environment. Now, the paint mechanic looked really cool, but I think mm-hmm. the platforming might underwhelm, especially considering that we've had two well-established Mario games come out, and that I think they could run into some problem with that. The paint mechanic looks great. It's kind of taking mm-hmm. what the it's kind of taking the Okami thing to the next level, which is great. And then Marvel vs. Capcom. I love Marvel vs. Capcom, but Street Fighter Four was probably the most infuriating experience. It, it's the second game in my life that I've ever returned. The first was Deus Ex for the PS2. I returned Street Fighter Four. I've been able to do a fireball my whole life, like no problems in any game. I could not do a fireball. Street Fighter 4. I don't know what it was about about the the hit. Did you play it on a PS3 or Xbox? PS3, PS3, and I could not pull it off. And like, I literally had a bloody thumb after like an afternoon of playing. And then everyone's like, "Oh, you need to go out and buy a hundred and eighty dollar Horty stick to play the game properly." No, screw you, Capcom. I'm not doing that. Either make the game control properly or package the joystick with the game. Sorry. I'm I'm gonna gonna go ahead and say. I'm gonna go ahead and say you need to suck less, cause. Uh, oh, 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 oh! Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Bring it on, boys. Bring it on. 
I'll admit no, I... Street Fighter 4 is like, you know, certain characters are hard to pull off the moves in that game. And of course, like characters like Ken are extremely easy to play as. Uh, it isn't Everyone one of those plays. fighters that you can just pick up and button mash through and win. Uh, you really have to know what you're doing. But uh, actually, I've played Super Street Fighter 4 a lot. And that actually... I don't know. I, I'm, I played it on the. I played Street Fighter Four on the PS3, and I kind of had this first same experience you did. I was having trouble with the controls, but then I kind of got the hang of it. Picked up Super Street Fighter Four for the 360, and I actually, believe it or not, despite the 360's controller, was able to pull off a fireball rather easily on there. Not at first, but once I practiced and you get the hang of it. Once you got it, you got it. So I think last, it's really a game you have to learn. You can't pick up and play it. No, That's all last, I'm going to say. The last experience I had with Street Fighter Four was I was playing online, and I finally played against somebody who wasn't using Ken, Ryu, or Akuma. He was playing as Sangeef, and I caught him with my ultra combo as, as Sagat. I got him, and so I connected with it. On the second hit of Sagat's ultra combo... I don't know how he did it, but Zangief was able to power through my combo. He activated his and killed me in one shot. <laughs> I literally stared at the game. A sound came out of my mouth that I've never heard before, and I just popped it out and took it back to EB. I, I literally was like, no, we're, we're can't done. win them all. No, we're done. And I, I, you know, you guys may be able to beat me at Street Fighter, but I guarantee you nobody here can beat me at Soul Calibur 2. I am a god at that game. Well, I, I guarantee nobody can beat me at NHL 10 here, except maybe John, but it depends. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, probably amongst the group here, Challenge Meets Blaze Blue. Okay, that's true. I, I know, suck I'm at Blaze Blue. At Blaze Blue. I, I like Blaze Blue, but I suck at it. I like it, though. I really do like it. Have you played Tetsunoko versus Capcom? No, I haven't. Actually, no. I was thinking one of those that things. That one is a up. very easy pick-up-and-play uh, fighter because all you have to do to activate your combo is shake the Wii remote. So yeah. that <laughs> might be more to your liking. Oh, thanks. Nice backhand. <laughs> wow. Uh, Fireball is just the B button, so you're, you're super with that game. Huh? Well, and if you cannot pull off a fireball with that, then I just don't know. So attention to the editors of RPG Fan. We are currently new, looking for new members of the podcast. <laughs> Feel free to send me private messages. And, uh, yes, I will not suck less. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. Liz, do you want to make fun of me too? Huh? Huh? No, actually, I didn't play Street Fighter 4 at all. I'll, so I'll, you'll, I'll be someone that you can beat at Street Fighter 4 if you want. I won't tell you to suck less. That's very doubtful. Alright, so, so what was the best thing at E3, and what was the worst thing at E3, Liz? I have to agree with Kim. One of my two uh, nicest surprises at E3 was Marvel vs. Capcom 3. I went back to Capcom's booth like three times just to play it, and to watch the trailer. Of course, Dante from Devil May Cry was a huge draw for me, but that's besides the point. Um, my other one was actually Castlevania Lords of Shadow. It's, it's kind of like what I thought Lament of Innocence would be, and wasn't. So that one was a lot of fun, and I actually, I'm not, I'm not even a huge Castlevania fan. I just tried it out, and it was, it was lots of fun. You mean Gothic of War? It's Gothic, it's Gothic of War. I mean, it's Gothic of War. No, it it, it looks okay. Um, I'm a huge Castlevania fan. I love that series, and Lament of Innocence pretty much broke my heart. Like about an hour into that game, I realized that it wasn't very good. But I did think the combat, I thought the combat in Lament of Innocence was awesome. I really liked the way that uh, Leon controlled. Lords of Shadow looks 
good right now, but I I do think it's going to kind of suffer the same way that Bayonetta and Dante's Inferno did by just even though God of War three I did I was a little bit disappointed with God of War three that is still the best character action game on the market right now. And, Bayon- and Bayon- I just started playing God of War three. <laughs> yeah, and and Bayon- I love it. Bayonetta and Dante's Inferno couldn't touch that game, and then now you're going to release Lords of Shadow. I'm going to give it a chance, yeah. but it's an untested developer. They're the guys that made uh, Clive Barker's Jericho. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, now, in all fairness, in all fairness, Rocksteady, the guys who made Batman: Arkham Asylum, started off with that horrible Riot game. Wait, wait, wait! Did you seriously just call Urban Chaos horrible? That was the best shooter for the PS2. Are you kidding? There is no other game that you can take a taser, set someone on a fire, and have the game yell, Barbecued! Kim, I think you should be deeply concerned this evening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, moving uh. on, moving on. <laughs> so what was, uh, and you're wrong. Uh, and uh, so Liz, what was, what was the worst thing that you saw at, at E3? Well, before I get to that, I just wanted to say that I just started God of War 3, and I don't think Lords of Shadow is going to pass it for me, but it's just, it's what I thought Lament of Innocence was going to be, and I don't know, it seemed fun from the demo. For the worst, I think it was the lack of anything, not even a mention on Xenoblade. I thought they would at least announce that it was coming over. Yeah, yeah. Here? That's published by Nintendo, too, correct? Yeah. Wow. So I was it's surprised that it wasn't. So I was kind of hoping for that, and... Uh, Mostly for that. There's other kind of unrealistic announcements, but I thought that was going to be mentioned, and it wasn't, and I was kind of let down. <laughs> all right, all right. Dennis, best and worst uh, of E3. Uh, no, for <laughs> say, it's like, just the whole... I love gen- everything. <laughs> just the whole general, you know, the way Nintendo Conference, just in what they delivered and stuff like that, that really got me into got me into these things because like yeah i like these old franchises i like to replace said franchises there you go it's like i love the i like the kirby games i love i'm a fan of donkey kong country glad to see both of them are back stronger hopefully stronger than ever and again the whole 3ds announcements and what they deliver and stuff that got me interested too aside from that it's just stuff like in like, of course, knowing more about the East news and all that stuff. Sure, I knew about it before, but still nice to hear it. And would love to hear more of it, but you had to steal my thunder. Well, on a side note, I have never cared about a Kirby game, but Epic Yarn looked awesome. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that art does. style was awesome. I was just, wow, like, that that was great. That and was this, great. speaking of art style, this is the thing with me. I'm not really much of a graphics whore. Like, I don't care a, a dime about just things like realism, stuff like that, or just these high details and stuff. I care about more abstract, quirky-looking games than anything that you know, whatever shooter delves on with its high-rendered graphics and stuff like that. Just don't care. Them newfangled things. Other than that, so things like, you know, again, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in that too, but I didn't look that extensively into E3. As for disappointments, there isn't any in particular I feel disappointed about, only because there's just something that, you know, I wouldn't, was hopeful for or feel things like that. I guess it's just maybe just I could just talk about things that kind of bugged me in E3 in general and stuff like that, for example. I'm not a shooter fan, 
Never was. I tried to get into it time and time again. My last attempt was playing Left 4 Dead 2 with, actually with John and Kim, which was fun. It was kind of a thickening, but two days later, I just didn't touch it since then. Yet, it just was a, it felt like a shooter-centric show, which sadly, yeah, it's the biggest genre in the U.S. and stuff like that. But I just didn't care for a lot of this stuff this year compared to you know other years. Were you guys playing Left 4 Dead on 360 or PC? 360. Oh, God. Uh, you guys are Left playing it wrong. Uh. That's about it, really. All right. Well, uh, for me, uh, I think the biggest announcement of E3, um, uh, besides, I have to agree with Dennis, Nintendo's press conference was amazing. I don't think anybody was expecting that. For them to just come out and show game after game after game, we're all sitting there terrified that they're going to talk about the Vitality sensor for three days, and we don't even we don't even get it mentioned, which was awesome. So they they came out strong with Zelda right away, which even though. I don't think Zelda looked particularly good, but, uh, you know... It plays pretty well, though, with yeah, the most all that I have to say. Yeah, and it's very early in development, and we all know it's going to come out and rock. So that's... Yeah. Cool. But the the best announcement for E3 for me, and I, I thought maybe it would happen. Uh, I'm not going to say that I predicted it, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool if Gabe Newell showed up at Sony's press conference? And when he showed up, I literally stared at the TV and couldn't believe it. Because him announcing Portal 2 and Steam on on Sony, on the PlayStation, that's huge. That shows a massive falling out between Valve and Microsoft, and that shows a confidence in the PlayStation platform. And Steam, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Steam is the best service for gamers right now. And putting that on PS3 is a goldmine. That is awesome. I'm so excited disappointment of the show uh two main things that my main disappointment was the um the focus on motion controllers i don't i mean go ahead go ahead i was just saying i have to agree i mean the the i mean they the sony did that playstation move and it just felt like what they've already been doing on the wii for how long (laughs) yeah i mean a sorcery looked i even though sorcery is basically a gimmick game it, it looked like it worked but I don't care. I don't care for motion control in my games. Connect didn't look good. You know, uh, the move was basically just the Wii mode. It, it is Wii HD, as uh, Pactor was putting it. So, mm-hmm. uh, motion control centric gaming, I don't care. I really don't, I don't care about six axis. I don't care about Connect. I don't own a Wii. I don't own Move. And, that, oh, side comment that was the funniest moment of E3 when they announced the pricing of Move. And they said, the Move controller will be $50. And you heard this, <gasps> and then the navigation controller will be $30. Aww. It was just, it, it was awesome. The whole crowd had no idea what to handle with that. Um, but the biggest... Wait. Sorry. Go, ahead. Go ahead, Dennis. Go ahead. And I guess my take on it is like, yeah, at least with the move, it kind of showed the more interesting games, like something I'm potentially more interested in with Connect. Just no. Just no. Yeah, connect, I, connect to me is just eye toy. It, it really is. And I, I don't know how they expect it to work other than, you know, some games. But uh, And one other thing. Just my little take on it, just so I could think. I'm okay with casual games. Nothing against it. It has its place. It has its audience, things like that. 
the, when they realized it, when they watched Nintendo, Microsoft and Nintendo, then they just something hit me about why it bothered me about Microsoft's conference. They spent too much time on those casual games, whereas with Nintendo, yeah, they showed the stuff and stuff, but it only took a minute, just got to the point, moving on. Yeah, Microsoft yeah. dragged on, on on it too long. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft really only had a few, they only had two mainstream games, which was Fable 3 and Gears of War 2. And after those games, you have to think that Microsoft is getting ready for the next console. I mean, what else do they have? We didn't see anything, so I... I don't know. Microsoft is in a weird spot right now. I, even though Connect was just, yeah, even though Connect was just announced, I think we might see the next console premiere next year at E3. You know, maybe not for a release that year, kind of like how it took Sony a while to get their act together, but we could see something. Uh, but overall, number one disappointment of E3, and I said it earlier in the show, no Last Guardian. That Greek. That broke my heart. I was expecting it to end the show, and yeah, Twisted Metal looked cool, but I would have rather seen The Last Guardian than David Jaffe on stage, honestly. Like, it just, I love you, David, and he's never going to listen to this podcast, whatever. But, like, I, you know, you never know. I love his games, and Twisted Metal looked great, but Last Guardian was just the game I wanted to see. I wanted to see what Uedo-san was doing with that game, and to not even mention it. You know, it, it starts to make you a little concerned, like, where is it? What's going on? But they, they seem to intimate that it will be at TGS, at the very least. So well, this is this is from the team that, that it, between Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, there was, what, six years of development time? Between Eco and Shadow? Yeah, was, Eco was released in what two thousand and one, and Shadow was released in oh six or oh seven. It was oh, it was oh five. No, was Shadow it? Shadow was oh five because I was a sophomore in college. Shadow was oh five. Yeah, it's oh five. That's yeah. around the but time still, I graduated that is, high that school. Is, that is a long development time. That is a long development time, but it just it does kind of concern me that. We didn't see anything, but I'm hoping that a TGS will will see a huge. Re- I think they only showed it at E3 last year because of that leak. Honestly, I, I think that's why they felt the need to show it. I'm I'm guessing that might have been just a behind closed doors thing that they were only going to show to certain people, but they decided to show it. So, but yeah, show me more Last Guardian, please, Trico, whatever you call it, just please show it to me. I want to see my cat bat. I think that thing's hmm. cute. That thing's cute, and when it dies, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I hope the kid dies. Honestly, I don't want the I don't want the cat bat to die. So, well, guys, I think that wraps it up. We, we've come in at two hours, and Eric's probably going to yell at me for that, but whatever. Uh, no, it's that's, super special. So, it's just, lots to like talk about. Lots to talk about, guys. Mm-hmm. I just want to thank uh, John, Kim, and Liz. Thank you so much at, to everybody that went to E3. Sam, Mike. You guys did so much work, and you were able to get so much content on the website. It was just Bravo. incredible. I mean, you know, I, I would clap, but I'd sound weird, and Dennis is already making it awkward. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it was fun. Thank you again so much. Fun. Yep, thank you again so much. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. And uh, yes. to the listeners, uh, we will see you at some point. I have no idea when, but we will have more and more games to talk about. So talk to you guys then.